Decatur city officials pledged to better equip police following a Tuesday afternoon shooting. Illini Hoops win over Jackson State in its season opener. More on these stories, I'm Sierra Henry. I'm Kelsey Watsonauer. And this is Lee Enterprises Long Story Short. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Long Story Short, where we recap Central Illinois news from Lee Enterprises journalists. Uh, it's been a very busy week, especially in the world of business, so Sierra's going to take us right into some Rivian news. Two months after electric vehicle manufacturer Rivian rolled out the first of its inaugural R1T pickup, it became a publicly traded company on Wednesday, earning one of the largest IPOs in years with a $77 billion valuation and raising $11.9 billion. At the end of day one on the NASDAQ, the closing price tallied $100.73 per share, giving Rivian a market value of about $85.9 billion, which is more than that of Ford and just below General Motors. But by Thursday, the company market valuation surpassed General Motors to become the nation's second most valuable automaker. We've been following the timing of this IPO and what it means for McLean County for quite some time. Last week, we discussed Illinois' new tax incentive package to attract electric vehicle manufacturers to the area. And President and CEO of the Bloomington Normal Economic Development Council, Patrick Hoban, said what Normal and McLean County has invested into Rivian five years ago with its property tax abatement package has far exceeded expectations, or the payout, I guess, if you will. If you want to read more, you can find my reports at panagraph.com where we have everything that you need to know about Rivian's IPO, uh, what happened on Wednesday, what happened on Thursday, and then just in general, you can find all my stories to read more about Rivian and what it's done for the McLean County area. And with that, we're going to move into local government, starting with a interesting story that was timely for Veterans Day. Senator Tammy Duckworth of Illinois and Senator Joni Erst of Iowa, both women having served in the military, have joined 18 other senators in a letter asking President Joe Biden to award the Medal of Freedom to 91-year-old Wilma Vaught, an Edgar County native who was the first woman to deploy with an Air Force bomber wing unit. Vaught, who graduated from the University of Illinois in 1952, enlisted at a time when the military still instructed women about make up rather than firearms and offered them few career fields with limited chances for promotion. Vought went on to have a trailblazing Air Force career, becoming one of the first to become a brigadier general and the first woman in in the comptroller field to receive the rank. She retired in 1985 and played a lead role in founding the military's women's Military Women's Memorial at Arlington National Cemetery. 20 women senators are urging Biden to award Vought the Presidential Medal of Freedom. To read more, find Rob Stroud's full story with quotes from Vought and her peers at jg-tc.com. The Bloomington Public Library is eyeing a potential tax levy increase to help pay for a $22.8 million library expansion. This week, the City Council approved entering a joint resolution with the library to begin drafting an intergovernmental agreement that would allow the city to issue up to $17 million in bonds to the library. The library would increase its property tax levy to pay off debt, paying around $1.1 million annually over the next 20 years. But the decision to even enter the joint resolution was met with pushback from some residents who called the library expansion package a nicety and not a necessity. Many referenced a need for the city to focus on sewer and road repair rather than assisting the library with its expansion. To read more about the story or for the full Bloomington Council meeting coverage, find my reporting at panagraph.com. 
a staff attorney with Land of Lincoln Legal Aid, has been providing free legal advice at the Decatur Public Library once a week for the last month. Chad Murray is a community attorney and has offered advice from family law to evictions and criminal convictions. He is unable to provide criminal defense work, but clients are allowed to spend as much time as needed. The library hosts open appointments with Murray from 10 a.m. to noon on Thursdays in the Stanley Room. Murray also hopes to add more research, such as informative lectures and presentations, soon. To read more about this partnership, you can find Donette Beckett's story at herald-review.com. Now we're going to move into some higher education news. A barn that was raised using an innovative hydraulic system during the Decatur Farm Progress Show has been moved to Richland Community College to serve as the home for an agriculture program. The space will offer offices and an area for students to hang out in between classes in an effort to create a community with the agricultural students. It will also house a lab and a few classrooms as well as equipment for hands-on experience with tractors. To read more about this partnership and how students could benefit as well as transfer credits, find Valerie Wells' story at herald-review.com. Bloomington District 87 has narrowed down finalists for its next superintendent to three people. Applicants being considered for the job are David Mauser, superintendent of the Tri-Valley Schools and Downs, David Dietz, superintendent of Harmony Image School District 175 in Belleville, and Becca Lehman, assistant superintendent of the East Noble School Corporation of Kendallville, Indiana. Iowa-based firm Ray & Associates has handled the job search, netting 37 applicants with 11 recommendations to the school board for further consideration. The board will vote on a final candidate in December following interviews with the three candidates. Find the full story by Connor Wood at Panagraph.com. Uh, let's get into sports, which is Kelsey's favorite section. And of course, we're starting with hoops. Alrighty. Jackson State took a loss to the University of Illinois this week, even with three of the Fighting Illini's top ball handlers on the bench. Guards Andre Curbelo, Trent Frazier, and Austin Hutcherson were sidelined with injuries when the Illini took a 71-47 non-conference victory in their season opener on Tuesday. With All-American center Kofi Cockburn also out on a three-game NCAA suspension after an NIL violation last summer, the team looked like they were in for a tough fight against Jackson State, which coach Brad Underwood called one of the better defensive teams in the country. But they pulled it out, forcing turnovers and taking an early lead that they were able to keep in front of their home crowd at the State Farm Center. In Cokeburn's wake, Coleman Hawkins and Omar Payne found several opportunities to score from the post, including Payne throwing down an alley-oop dunk off a lob from DeMonte Williams. After an exciting game, Underwood said he was ecstatic and couldn't be prouder of his team for playing hard. Randy Reinhardt was in the arena for the Lee's Central Illinois sports crew, and he was he has the full story with some great video on all three of our sites, herald-review.com, jg-tc.com, and panograph.com, so be sure to check that out. Marnie Howard, a junior at Normal West High School, is preparing to dive into her first state swim meet, ranking number two after earning 518.30 points at her sectional competition. Marnie came into diving after an injury sidelined her from gymnastics, and she has progressed quickly in her new sport. She actually qualified for state as a sophomore after she won the sectional title, but she didn't get that state experience since the meet was canceled because of the pandemic. Panagraph reporter Jib Bitson spoke with Marnie about her upcoming state debut, but she's not the only swimmer in Bloomington Normal advancing. Eleven other girls are swimming toward a state title, so to find out who all made it, find Jim Benson's reporting at Panagraph.com. The meet will be this weekend in Westmont. Now we're going to go into some courts news, so Kelsey, tell us what's going on in Coles County this week. 
A Coles County judge has found Joshua Fairchild, who was charged with killing his girlfriend, unfit to stand trial based on findings of a psychological evaluation ordered at the time of his arrest. Fairchild will undergo treatment for one year with the goal of achieving fitness to stand trial. The 26-year-old Charleston man was charged with first-degree murder and concealing the homicidal death of Chalita Branch. Court documents show that Fairchild told police that his girlfriend wanted him to kill her while the two were involved in a heated argument that occurred as many as two months before her body was discovered. Her body was found by police on June 25th during a well-being check prompted by a call from her mother. To read more, find Athena Pager's full report at jg-tc.com. Uh, the legal team for Jamie Snow, who was convicted of murder in the 1991 shooting death of 18-year-old William Little, will get thousands of documents of police reports and prosecuting evidence related to the conviction. The documents are expected to land in the next two weeks. Snow, who is 55, is serving a life sentence. He was convicted in 2001 of the killing, which occurred during an apparent robbery March 31, 1991, at the former Clark Oil Station at Linden and Empire Streets in Bloomington. He was arrested in 1999. Snow has claimed his innocence and is now sneaking a new trial. The, the Exoneration Project has taken on this case. The full story and more details can be found in articles by Kate Heather at Panagraph.com. Decatur city leaders are shocked and outraged after a 32-year-old man was shot in broad daylight while driving down a busy Decatur street on Tuesday. The man suffered what police said were life-threatening injuries after he was shot in the neck. In a Thursday update, police said the man is in critical condition. Detective Sergeant Chris Copeland said the gunfire came from a suspect in a minivan and that the shooting does not appear to have been a random act. The man who was shot crashed into another car, injuring a 34-year-old Warrensburg mother and her two children, aged six and nine. Mayor Julie Moore Wolf said the city will do everything possible to equip the city's police department with the best tools possible. This week, Herald and Review reporters Tony Reed and Matus Janek wrote that Decatur Police Department crime statistics show shootings for 2021 are up every month through September over the previous year. The year-to-date total through September was 153 shootings compared to 111 by September of 2020, a jump of more than 37%. To read the full story, find Tony and Matus's report at herald-review.com. Bloomington police are investigating a November 4th homicide after a man was found dead while responding to a shooting scene around 9 p.m. in the 800 block of East Washington Street in Bloomington. The McLean County coroner has identified the man as 30-year-old Jeffrey Rowry of Bloomington. Neighbors in the area said they heard about four or five gunshots at the time of the shooting. No other injuries were reported. If you want to find out more or to follow this case, you can keep up with us at Panagraph.com. Okay, we're going to move into some community news. Uh, Kelsey's going to start us off with some more veteran stuff. Yay. Because it is Veterans Day today. Well, when we're recording this, it's Veterans Day. By the way, we record this on Thursdays. We didn't tell you before. Yeah, I think they know that. (laughs) (laughs) A member of the J.A. Fullwell American Legion Post number 174 has brought the white table tradition to the organization. Dennis Nauer, a retired carpenter, has built and donated a white table in dedication to the memory of prisoners of war and service members missing in action. The tradition dates back to the end of the Vietnam War and is a table set apart from others. Each part of the table holds a specific meaning. The tables are traditionally smaller than other tables in the room it's dedicated in and have a white tablecloth, an empty chair, a Bible, a black napkin, a rose, a yellow candle, a slice of lemon, salt, and a wine glass placed upside down. To read more about this tradition and what it all means, you can find Connor Wood's story at Panagraph.com. That was intriguing as heck. I'm going to read Connor Wood's story at Panagraph.com because I didn't know about that. 
I didn't either. I didn't know about that tradition, but I think it was really interesting. I read the whole story. Um, Connor did a really good job. So that's going to do it for us today, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, if you're enjoying this podcast and are reporting, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. While you're at it, head on over to Panagraph.com, Herald-Review.com, and JG-TC.com to look up subscription information and consider supporting hashtag local journalism.